0: Man, oh man, uh, today could have gone a whole lot of ways with this episode of Behind the Yellow Line. We've got a full crew tonight. Jeremy is here. Randall is here. Not a great homestand for the Cubs. You dropped the first two then against the Cardinals. And going into tonight's show, we're recording this the night of May 10th. I'm thinking, Cubs win tonight? We're probably going to have a, a positive, optimistic podcast. Cubs lose tonight and get swept by the Cardinals. None of us are going to be in a good mood. But you know what? The Cubs pull it out tonight. Everybody offensively contributing. Cubs win 10 to 4. And guys, I'm in a good mood tonight, getting ready to talk Cubs baseball.
1: Well, I'm in a better mood than I would have been uh, had they not won. I don't think I've screamed that many epithets at my television over a three-day span since probably the last time the Cubs played the Cardinals. So at least I'm consistent.
2: I'm in a good mood, too. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see much of tonight's game. I only really saw that ninth inning where Keegan struggled a little bit, but, you know, getting back, seeing a 10-4 win after the last two days, you know, tough homestand a little bit there just to finish 500, but not positive. Always good to come onto the pod after a big win, after, you know, get the good juices flowing. I like it. That's the way I prefer to do it, so I'm in a good mood. I agree. I agree. And the first
0: win of the year against the Cardinals, right? It's not the series that we wanted. There was a lot of concern, at least with me, going, man, maybe they're not gonna, uh, maybe they will get swept here, in fact, by the Cardinals, just the way they've looked the last two nights. Uh, But everybody, again, tribute today. We've been talking about Christopher Morrell forever. He's finally in the lineup and he's doing big things. That's good. That's fun. And Wrigley appeared to be rocking here Wednesday night.
2: Packed house, it looked like, from what I could tell. And, uh, you know, you got to get that go, Cubs go. And you mentioned Christopher Morell. That's absolutely right. Like, he's come up, and he's hit some balls hard. He's played two games so far, yesterday and today. I was at last night's game. I was sitting behind home plate uh, in, in the 319-R. Let me tell you, that ball he smoked out to center field. I Just when he hit that, that ball was, as I said, smoked. And he's hitting – he had 112-mile-per-hour exit velo today on that uh, double, I believe he had. So – you get a guy like that who's hitting balls hard. Like it's just crazy to think that he was riding the bus in Iowa for the first month of the season, but I'm happy he's here now.
1: Yeah. He does what he does best, which is hitting the ball hard and bringing energy. He'd have another RBI tonight. If not for the fact that, uh, uh, John Gomes was the runner on that double. Otherwise I think he probably would have driven in another run, which doesn't matter, but it still matters in context. And of course the great quote from David Ross regarding, Christopher Morrell, is that after he uh, turned a great double play, a one, four, three last night, he goes up to the pitcher Assad and gives him a high five. And David Ross is quoted as saying, you know, we have to tell Christopher, you don't have to touch everyone on the field when something good happens, because the umpire could have counted that as a mound visit. And that's just such a quintessential Christopher morell thing to do and something that someone would say about Christopher morell He's just got that kindergartner golden retriever energy. And that's what this team needs right now. They need energy and he's providing it.
2: I yeah, I agree. And I also want to go back uh, uh to what Ron also said was about, you know, how Wrigley was kinda of packed tonight. I thought that was, you know, I was there last night and it wasn't I think the announced tennis was like 32,000, but I thought it was a pretty good crowd. I thought, you know, it was pretty lively in the big moments. A lot of people standing up and cheering on the three two counts or always especially late in the game, which always to me is always like, all right, let, I, I, let's just see the play here. Let's see the pitch. But uh, I, I thought really, you know, it feels like it's coming like last like it's May 9th. It's it's a game against the Cardinals who are what, 12 and 24 or whatever at the time. The Cubs were under 500, but that felt it felt like it, such an important game. It felt yeah. like a playoff game, and I just imagine the players on the field feeling that energy. And I thought that Wrigley last night, and I'm assuming tonight as well, was just bringing it in that way. And I, it's cool to see that because not many ballparks you get that. As I said, on May 9th.
1: Well, tonight felt like a playoff game too because the Cardinals lost it. So,
2: well, the Cubs. Oh have man. <laughs> All day, all day, randall has been sitting there
0: going, I'm going to take some shots at the Redbirds here tonight. Delivering it Uh, right to their
1: front step. That's what I'm doing.
0: Well, you know, there were some Redbird fans that uh, were gloating a bit the last couple of days. Taken the first two this series from the Cubs. But Wrigley was rocking. Uh, One of my favorite things about Wrigley Field is you get a pivotal moment in the game, and we've seen this. It happens in the third inning sometimes, right? Bases are loaded. You got a guy up, and all of a sudden the fans start clapping. They get on their feet. I've been to 20-plus active Major League Parks this does not happen everywhere. This does not happen in most places. You get it in Boston. You get it sometimes in New York, sometimes at Dodger Stadium. This San Francisco another place where you can get that from time to time. This is what makes Wrigley different. And, you know, Marcus Stroman's been raving about Cubs fans. Cody Bellinger's been raving about Cubs fans. A lot of players speak highly of the fan base for the team that they're currently playing for. But I challenge any other fan base out there to give me multiple examples of fans unprompted getting up on their feet and really rallying the team. And Pat and Ron on the radio talk about the Wrigley moments. And, and sometimes pitchers on the other team freak out a little bit in that position if they got to make a big pitch and the crowd's all into it like that. So It is something that's unique to our team and, all ball, and our ballpark. And it was great to see that at the friendly confines. Not the federal landmark, the friendly confines. Oh,
1: that's correct, the friendly confines. Well, that's a Pat Hughes trademark. This moment has a real turning point feeling, Ron. Mm -hmm. You know, he he trademarked that, what, two, two, three color, color partners ago? And, you know, he trademarked that because he gets to call games at Wrigley Field. You said unprompted, Ronan uh we we could come back to this all the time because i'm still relieved and i kind of have to keep speaking it into existence that when they put up the video boards you were worried i was worried we're all worried they were gonna Mm -hmm. end up like dodger stadium where the fans need to be told what to do they need their hands held at all times called a kindergarten crowd and i'm (laughs) very relieved that the cubs have not done that and i'm very relieved that Wrigley, for the most part, is blessed with crowds that know what to do in the right moments. They don't need prompting. They don't need signs to be flashed towards them. They know what to do, and they know how to react, and that is part of what makes Wrigley Field Wrigley Field. It's part of what makes it the friendly confines and not the federal landmark. If it were the federal landmark, the fans would need it to be told what to do on the scoreboard.
2: I I definitely booed that when I heard that uh, yesterday before the game, and I'll boo it every time. I hear it before the game. Yeah. When they come on, say the federal landmark, it's the friendly confines. Let's stick to it. Stop with this federal landmark business. And I know you all agree with me on that. Yeah. And you know, just going back when you were talking about the players, I you talk about that game against the Mariners where Nelson Velasquez hit the Homer or the Big Moment, whatever. And you you Danzy Swanson said it there. He said that's one of the biggest games i've ever played it was like april against the mariners two weeks in like in terms of atmosphere and i just remember all the braves fans on twitter being like going nuts like you played in the world series you played whatever first of all he didn't say it was the biggest game or the biggest moment he's ever felt but he said it was one of them and that's an april baseball game and yeah he's you know trying to you know pander to the the team fan base a little bit obviously yeah but those moments are like last night i was thinking about it like the the Cubs didn't come through in a lot of situations last night. It was not in the game where they, uh, you know, the Marcus Stroman or excuse me, uh, uh, Jameson Tyone game where they lost. But it felt so big. All those moments they just felt huge. Even when the Cardinals came through, it was such a letdown. And I don't feel like you get that at a lot of ballparks. I mean, I've been to a few, a lot, a pretty good amount of ballparks, and Wrigley <laughs> Field. I it just you get a different energy.
0: And I I love Cubs-Cardinals. Jeremy, I know you love Cubs-Cardinals. Randall, I think Cubs-Cardinals graze you and causes – you got a good head of hair there, Randall, but you lose some hairs when the Cubs are playing the Cardinals. And while I'm generally in favor – of the new schedule and you get a chance to see all the great stars in the league one of the downsides to this is it does mean fewer cubs cardinals games fewer games at wrigley field even randall fewer games down at bush stadium and to me that's a little bit of a bummer because i like my rivalries to be fierce so satisfying when you pull off a w even if it's just one of three
1: Yeah, I got these two little racial ghoul patches of gray in my beard, and they get a little grayer each time the Cubs play the Cardinals. Ronan, you mentioned how the balanced schedule means fewer Cubs-Cardinals games. The Cubs will actually have one fewer series in St. Louis this year because that series has been moved to London. And if MLB has made one good decision in the last five years, it's kicking the Cardinals out of the United States of America. Uh, Anything that (laughs) results in fewer games in St. Louis, I'm generally for. And that the Cubs get to play a a cool pair of games in a, a foreign country even better. But uh, I think uh, more Cardinals games should be moved out of the country. I think that's a net win, no matter how you slice it.
0: Yeah, Randall wants all those uh, cards games down in Mexico City Australia. and uh, Tokyo. it can see be like getting... a
1: barnstorming team.
0: <laughs> well, I see we're getting South Korea next year, too, to uh, kick off the year. So that'll be pretty neat. Um, but we have a lot to get to tonight. There's a lot of individual players that I want to talk about, both good and bad, both on the major league roster and – On the sort of bad side of things, there's been a lot of fans chirping about David Ross over the last two weeks or so, and I definitely want to get your guys' thoughts on that. But like I said, I'm in a positive mood here tonight with the win. The Cubs moved to 18-19. and Uh, They're just two and a half games out of first place in the National League Central, and I'm in such a good mood, I had to pour myself a little uh, celebratory Jack Daniels here, Jeremy, a little J&C to get in the mood for the pod tonight. Uh, But... Let me sort of temper things a little bit by saying this too. Jeremy, you and I were out at Wrigley Field a couple weeks ago, the Friday game where Drew Smiley nearly pitched the perfect game. He carried it into the eighth inning. Cubs beat the Dodgers. It has not been good Cubs baseball since that point. With the win today, the Cubs just six and twelve since the Drew Smiley Yan Gomes incident on the infield at Wrigley Field. And, you know, Randall, it's been a frustrating stretch here right um even this homestand you take the first two against the Marlins you battle back routinely in that Sunday game only to lose in 14 innings and it feels like there's been a lot of letdowns the last two and a half weeks
1: it doesn't just feel like there's been a lot of letdowns this is a stretch where you would have hoped the Cubs could have really eaten and really banked some of the wins they're going to need if they're going to be competitive this season but instead you get swept in Miami you basically get swept in Washington you win the first game and then you lose the next 3 you come home and you win two or three against the Marlins. That's great. But like you said, the one loss is just an excruciating game point seven five affair where you, you lose in part because the winning run scored on a really ticky-tack balk uh, you know, you can say he might have been doubled in a, a few pitches later, whatever the run scored on a really ticky tack block. And of course you lose the series against the Cardinals. So it's not just a letdown. It's a stretch where you would have hoped the Cubs would have done better work and banked some of the wins they're going to need. And they simply could not take advantage of this kind of soft spot in the schedule. And it's going to get harder from here.
2: Definitely. The ne- these next couple of weeks are actually going to be a very tough stretch for the Cubs. So it's, it is unfortunate that, They had a chance to really bank some wins, as you said, Randall, and they didn't do it. They didn't really do it. Uh, I like the way they played for the most part. Like, they were in pretty much every single game. Every game was a fight. They they were coming back. They were forcing games. It's just crazy how these one-run games have just, not gone their way it seems like this year and the marlins uh at one point I'm, i don't i'm sure what they are now but after they won that game on sunday i believe they were 11 and 0 and one run games which is just nuts and like four of them have come against the cubs so uh but they the thing is to me it's like they have so many runners on at all times and they've struggled in hitting and runners in scoring position but uh, a huge function of that is just variance. It's just kind of, you know, just situation. Things not quite working out. We saw tonight, like they had a bunch of runners in scoring position and they drove a lot of guys in. It kind of bounced out tonight. Hopefully that plays in the future. Um, uh, but yeah, you want to get a bunch of wins against the Marlins. You want to get a bunch of wins against the nationals and even a, a Cardinals team that's scuffling because you got the twins coming up. who are not playing great. You got the Astros. You're going to play the Phillies. You're going to play the Mets. You're who are playing great, but you're playing a lot of teams that should be good. And the one benefit right now is that the rest of the division is scuffling along pretty well too. So, uh, but yeah, you, it was, a, it's been a frustrating two weeks.
0: Uh, you mentioned the big road trip coming up here, nine game road trip for the Cubs to your point, Jeremy, three in Minneapolis, three in Houston. come home, you get the Mets and going a little bit further from that. Tampa Bay in the not-too-distant future. Another round with San Diego, including a four-game set. Anaheim is playing better baseball. Pittsburgh, Baltimore. I mean, a number of competitive teams here over the next few weeks. This is really going to be an important stretch of baseball for the Cubs, who find themselves very much in a division race here a month and a half into the year. We had different levels of expectations for the Cubs coming into the season. But if you had told me May 10th, the Cubs are going to be just two and a half games out of first place the Pirates will be in front of them in the division and the Cardinals will be eight games back. I would have said no chance in hell. What are we talking about? So overall, again, a very important stretch for the Cubs here. Uh, somebody who has gotten a lot of attention, I think negative attention over the last 10 days to two weeks or so is the Cubs fourth year skipper, David Ross. And Randall, some of that negative attention is coming from our co-host here, Jeremy Spector, a text from Jeremy last night, 9:37 central Jeremy who was at the ballpark Cubs Cardinals quote Ross isn't the guy now I've seen a lot of that on social media a lot of Cubs fans here turning on David Ross Jeremy what do you mean Ross isn't the guy
2: here's what I mean and I'm not saying by Ross I'm not saying he deserves to be canned because first of all I, I don't want Andy Green to be the guy right now right. who I assume would step in Correct. Uh, what I'm saying is I don't think Right now, we've seen, as you're saying, this Cubs team is in a spot to be competitive. They're two and a half out. You need to optimize your chances to win. Because this team, yeah, we we they can be competitive. They can play in this division. But if they're going to win this division, they're going to make the playoffs. They have to be kind of perfect in situations. And they have to optimize those situations. And they have to, you know, they have to play pretty good deep. They have to do all the fundamentals. Their manager has to be on top of things. And I'm just not seeing a guy right now who I have faith in to do those things. I'm not seeing a guy who's making the in-game decisions that I'm putting mostly on him. I'm not seeing a guy I'm, – I'm kind of – odd. I don't understand what's quite going on necessarily with some of like the lineup decisions, which I don't necessarily put out all on him because I think that plays in with the front office as well. But I was – I didn't like the hiring process for David Ross to begin with. So I, I was kind of predisposed to not being – you know, really gung ho on David Ross to be the guy, but I, I would giving him a chance. And I just don't see a guy when it push comes to shove, when this Cubs team wants to be competitive. I don't think he's the right guy for that. Yeah. If you give him a lot of talent, a lot of managers can win a lot of ball games and they'll overcome their flaws. But right now we need a guy who's going to maximize all those decisions in the ball game. And I'm not seeing that. And that's going to come into play when, if you want a competitive Cubs team, in the playoffs at some point. So when this rebuild really gets kicking right now, I'm not seeing the guy who's going to be the guy to lead that team. I don't think he's the guy. I mean, maybe he could prove me wrong the rest of the season, but I don't see it right now. I think
1: Jeremy and I are of very similar minds on this is that he's not doing the things necessary to help the Cubs win on the margins right now. He's letting batters take at bats that I just don't think you can do the bases loaded situation where he lets Hosmer take the at bat Tuesday night is one great example. He, he leaves Assad in an inning too long and it ends up costing them the game. We've been saying, we've said multiple times now for the Cubs to be competitive this season, you are going to need to win on the margins. You're going to have to maximize every opportunity you have because you don't necessarily have the talent to get by on talent alone. You're going to need to compete on the margins and Ross's decisions are not allowing them to do that. The lineup decisions, the uh, relief decisions. He's just not doing what you need to do. I agree with Jeremy completely firing him and having Andy Green manage this team. Andy Green himself, a failed manager, manage this team for the rest of the season. I don't think that solves anything, but I think when the off season comes around, you need to take a long, hard look at whether he's the guy. And if he ends up being a, a Rick Renteria caretaker, where he manages a team on the rise uh, and then you jettison him because you think you're ready to take that next step. So be it. And Jeremy, you mentioned that the hiring process. I mean, it was down to him and Joe Espada was that the other finalist. Joe Espada. I mean, that was right around the time the uh, the, the cheating scandal came to light. You hired Joe Espada. You might end up like the Mets, who hired Carlos Beltran, and he never managed a game for them. So in in hindsight, which of course is always 2020, I'm not that broken up about them choosing Ross over Espada, but I agree with you in that he's not making the decisions that allow this team to win on the margins. And that is eventually going to be the downfall of this team if that's not corrected.
2: Right. And just going back to that hiring process, well, first of all, I want to say if they do pull a Ricky Rattoria out with him, getting rid of him, make sure your hire is much more Joe Madden, who was not necessarily a friend of, than Tony Larusa cuz like, yes. <laughs> that's what we need to do but uh uh going back to that hiring process like if you remember correctly like how he got the job what they like when they hired him and like the big thing they they pr- pushed was he gave this like great clubhouse speech and i just thought that was like such a weird thing for them to be like this is why we hired david ross i just thought it just seemed like it was like a gamed process to give him the job and I wasn't that did, did, didn't sit well with me, but look at like, he, as you mentioned, he's a fourth year skipper. Now he last he, year, I don't really put too much on him. Obviously he didn't have a roster. It was whatever. I don't really put that much on him, but if we're going to go back. Like looking retro, uh, on what transpired 2021. That cups team was in first place in June. And what happened? They went on a 10 game losing streak and, yeah, there was a lot of situation going on, but some of that, you know, the manager should have... I think now you look at some of it kind of reflects on the manager, in my opinion, and what happened, how that season kind of ended to put you in a situation where you're having to trade. They could have been in a position where they were acquiring talent, trying to push, and it didn't happen that year. So I do think some of that you kind of look at, you're looking at what you're seeing now. Like, it's, fourth, it's his fourth year. At some point, you have to evaluate him. You have to say... As I said, is this the guy when the Cubs want to win? Is he the guy that you want leading the team? And I'm going to give him the rest of this year. I'm going to be hopeful that he proves it. But right now, I just don't see it. There's too many. I, it frustrates me because I he, I feel like there's been so many situations where he can pinch hit and he just hasn't done it. Why are we seeing Eric Hosmer taking so many of these at-bats? Why are we seeing certain other players take so many of these bets? That's just frustrating. You can pinch hit. You can replace the batter, and it's frustrating to me so much. We saw Patrick Wisdom, who has a huge strikeout rate, put Nick Madrigal in, who can get some contact in the contact spot. Yeah, is Patrick Wisdom a better hitter than Nick Madrigal? Probably, but in that situation, Madrigal's going to give you contact. It's just been frustrating to me to watch, and I've become more skeptical. So what I'm hearing from you
0: guys is like there's multiple responsibilities of a big league manager. But one of the things a big manager has to be adept at is you've got, at one time, 26 guys in the active roster. In reality, you've got 30 to 35 to 40 guys that are sort of coming and going and contributing to your roster. And some of them are superstar players. Some of them are the last guy at the bottom of the bench. And you need those players in whatever role that they have to be optimized and used effectively. So if they've got like a bad matchup against left-handers, you don't want them up there and like, facing left-handers, right? You just want to get each guy optimized as much as possible. And you guys are saying you don't think David Ross is doing this up to this point.
1: That That is where I think we are in agreement. You have rosters. The 2016 Cubs – were a team that did not have to win on the margin because they were so supremely talented they could overcome just about everything or at least have a shot at overcoming just about everything. I don't need to tell anyone this. I'm not breaking any news, but the 2023 Cubs are not the 2016 Cubs. You are not going to just steamroll teams. You're going to need to, again, here's this phrase. We might have to retire it because we're using it so much. You're going to need to win on the margins. You're going to have to make the right decisions at every turn for things to go right. And so far, Ross has not done that. He has not made the right decisions at every turn.
0: Well, let me ask you guys this too. There were two guys we've been clamoring for for weeks, really since March, to be honest with you. Uh, Matt Mervis and Christopher Morrell. And in the last week, we've gotten both of them up to the big league roster. But now you've got 26 players. And I think any baseball fan who's thinking about roster construction would say, you should have the best 26 players on your active roster at a given time. I think all three of us would agree. Eric Hosmer's on this roster, right? This is not the best 26 men that the Cubs could be suiting up every single day at Wrigley Field. What I'm curious about is, like, how do you balance having the best 26 guys there And thinking about a guy like Nelson Velazquez, who is probably one of the best 26 guys, but right now there's probably no at-bats for him. So is it better to have him sitting in Iowa getting at-bats and theoretically not having your best 26? Like this is something I've been going back and forth on internally over the last week. You know, I
1: I get what you're saying. You know, your best 26 guys. I would argue that it's not about your best 26 guys. It's using maybe your best twenty. Out of those 26, because you're going to have guys in the bullpen who are low on the pecking order. You're going to have position players who are there in the event of an emergency. You need, you know, you need an emergency pinch hit at bat. You need someone to come in defensively in a blowout or whatever. Uh, The guy responsible for making sure the dugout doesn't float away. Uh, you know, I'd say it's not about necessarily using your best 26 guys or having the best 26 guys. You're always going to have dead weight on the roster. It's about using, you know, your best 20 out of 26. And again, I don't think Ross is doing that. I don't think that Hosmer should be in the lineup on the same day as Mervis. And I don't think he should be batting ahead of Mervis. And that's just the most recent things that comes to mind. And again, Jeremy pointed out lineup construction is probably not entirely his. He's not uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Moneyball, where he says the lineup card is mine and mine alone. You know, he probably doesn't have full full control over that. But again, some of his decisions, again, here's our phrase on the margins, are just he's not putting the team in the best position to win.
2: Yeah, that that's kind of, Randall's kind of where I am. I don't know if I disagree about the 20 or whatever, but he is kind of where I am. Where first of all, lineup, I think, I I, I think that, yeah, I think Ross probably has more of an input, but I do think it's kind of a collaborative thing with the front office and when it comes to the roster I I think that probably as well the front front office so I don't really judge Ross on that as much I do judge him a little bit on the line, lineup but like I don't blame Ross for having Eric Hosmer on this team I, I don't think that but what I do judge him is the like decision making and how as you said he is optimizing that roster like yeah you have Eric Hosmer and you're using Eric cosmer but then you have to recognize his his flaws and strength so you have to use him in the situations that are best for him you you as bill parcel or bill Parcells once you know talked about how he wanted to do he wanted to buy the, the groceries and cook the meal well Ross is stuck cooking the meal but he, he doesn't necessarily have control of buying the groceries but he has to use the groceries he has to use them effectively and that's just not what I'm necessarily seeing right now I'm seeing guys not necessarily I don't think he's optimizing as we've said using that word the roster in the most effective way i it's been frustrating me because I, I can think of multiple times in late inning situations where i'm like why is he not pinch hitting like he obviously has fears he had eric Hosmer bunt i believe in washington which i didn't necessarily if eric Hosmer's gonna bat i understand why you have him bunt because that makes sense to me because he's going to hit in a double play. Everybody knows he's going to hit in a double play. But Eric Hosmer doesn't have to bat in this situation. You can pinch hit for Eric Hosmer. You can put a player in who you don't think is going to hit a double play or is going to give you a better chance not to hit in a double play. So, like, those are the type of things I don't understand. I feel like he's not using his bench in-game in the most effective way. And that's what's been frustrating me. And I haven't seen that. And when you have a team like the Cubs are right now, this Cubs team needs to win that way. The 2016, as Randall mentioned, they didn't have to win that way, but they were very good at those type of things. They had a great bench. Joe Manning used them very well. I thought the Lou Piniella, in my opinion, in my lifetime, I feel like that I've been paying attention to, has been the best. Uh, I, I, I loved Lou. I thought he did a great job at optimizing his roster, maximizing the way the players are. I'm just not seeing, I think at some point we have to evaluate David Ross. He's been here four years. We're expecting this Cubs yep. team to be competitive in the future. Like he's going to get a new contract soon. I assume, I don't know his actual contract details. I'm not sure if they're public, but at I assume at some point he's got to have a contract talks coming up. I, I think right now I'm not seeing the guy I'm confident in to lead the Cubs to the next step. And if he's not the guy i hope they actually go through a real process where we're not just like anointing you know the world series hero or whatever to come back in so i'm just not seeing it i hope we really are evaluating david ross on what, and he could be a great club outside. like i don't have any issues so far with the way the clubhouse is being handled and that is a part of it as you because guys are, i thought joe Mann did a great job for the most part for the first couple of years he was there managing the clubhouse but uh, i right now i'm i'm just not seeing it with david ross
1: uh, Jeremy mm-hmm. Ross did sign an extension uh, a year ago on May, oh, March, March 11th, 2022. He signed a two-year extension, guaranteeing him 2023-2024 with a club option for 2025. So firing him after this season, you'd be eating one year. And then year. Whether, you, whether you count the club option or not as eating a year. Um, yeah. So you would be eating one year if you were to fire him after this season.
2: Right. So after the season, he'll probably be wanting to do contract talks too because – he only has like one guaranteed year left on his contract. Yeah.
0: Well, I hear you guys and I get the frustration and I'm watching the games too. And I think every single fan who watches their team every day as the three of us do is bitching about their manager and bullpen sure. management. I think that is a universal across every baseball fan. But I, I understand where your frustration is coming from. And there have been some decisions with roster construction and maybe a lack of pinch hitting that is head scratching. Um, I, 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 I'm not ready to write off off david ross and i'm not saying both of you guys have yet but you're certainly more pessimistic than i am there's a lot that i think that he has done well uh, i think generally even though the rosters haven't been very competitive especially last year i feel like the cubs have been prepared when they show up to the ballpark and generally especially this year they're competitive even in the games that they're losing they're competitive and losing a lot of one-run games so those could go the other way i think the cubs are playing they're they're outperforming my expectations up to this point should they have a handful more wins i think that's totally fair but they're much better at 18 and 19 than i thought this team was going to be right now i was very worried about a slow start selling off stroman selling off bellinger could this maybe be a 90 loss team i thought they were closer to 90 losses than 90 wins coming into the season and the other thing that i'll give david ross credit for and you did touch on this jeremy but he has kept the clubhouse together over the last four years. And think about what clubhouse has gone through. Jeremy, you talk about 2021. There was a lot of bad energy in that clubhouse that had nothing to do with David Ross in 2021. Javier Baez, Anthony Rizzo, guys that we thought would get long-term extensions with the Cubs, Chris Bryant, you know, keep naming the guys, That knew that their time in town was going to be done. Wilson Contreras last year at the All-Star break knew that he was done as a cub. And yet there was no mutiny in the clubhouse. It never really got ugly with any of that. And I think a big responsibility of a manager in 2023 is managing the egos of 20 to 40-year-old multimillionaires that were some of the best in the world at what they do. And I think David Ross does a really good job about it. Like we haven't heard a lot of stuff leaking from the clubhouse and coming out that causes a headache. And you can't say that about other teams in town or other teams, even in the division that have had problems with that this year. So I'm, I'm optimistic that David Ross can figure it out. I'm as frustrated as you guys are, that there are some head scratching things here, but overall I still think he's the guy for the job. And and I just love that we're in this position in mid-May that they're playing for something that there's a chance at a playoff this year with this team. And David Ross is fighting for his job. All of that is a good thing and good for his development. And I'm pulling for him to get it right.
1: And I will say there's a, clearly a very reasonable and I think reasonably smart individual in there. I know they asked him on Monday, his thoughts on what the Cardinals were doing with Wilson Contreras, something I know we'll touch on later. And Ross's answer is basically, you know, that's that's not for me to comment on. I don't want to comment on what's going on in their clubhouse. It's not their place to comment yeah. on what would, what's going on in this clubhouse. And I said, you know, what? that's a good answer. And let's hope that's the end of it from the the local reporters. I'm sure they had to ask once, but that's a good answer. Uh And you know he he gave that great quote about Morrell how he he loves the energy and you know he doesn't mind him going and trying to shake uh, Javier Assad's hand he he loves the energy I think there is very much a reasonable players manager in there and that's great you can be a good players manager but you know it still doesn't necessarily mean that you are the guy for the job and I think we're all in agreement no one's saying fire him no one has. No one has jumped off the ship just yet, but at the very least, Jeremy and I are looking over the side and I think seeing what the waters are like at the moment. Ronan's, Ronan's good on the boat, though. He's like, I'm on the boat. I'm going well, go on this don't podcast. Jump. Yeah. You, you, well, know, you I, don't I jump I don't into swim, the water. I don't swim, so I yeah. stay in the
0: boat. <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah, no, yeah, I, yeah. you I know it. where I belong. I Look, I, I, think, I don't think anybody on this podcast has jumped off. There are a lot of Cubs fans, though, that like to share their opinions with the world on the internet, That's and David Ross has taken a beating for yeah. the last 2 weeks.
2: Well, let me let me just last night I was at the game. The guy behind me after Sod gave up a couple runs was just giving it to David Ross just yelling from the top deck uh David Ross at him and and, and I was and to be honest I was not as angry about the Assad thing because it was the bottom of the lineup. He hadn't gone through. I didn't think it was like the worst thing in the world to let him out there. I was more frustrated about letting Eric Hosmer, which I understood the platoon advantage, but letting Eric Hosmer take that at bat in the seventh inning, where, and I understand, you know, Eric Hosmer might be in his career more likely to get a hit. He might have a better eye in terms of uh getting on base and he might have the platoon advantage but right now we've seen what kind of eric Hosmer has been in the, this moment and you have patrick wisdom on the bench and i i would rather take the shot of patrick wisdom hitting a ball hard somewhere and yeah he might strike out then just eric Hosmer in that situation and i just didn't understand why I, to me that's what i would have done that frustrated me um but i i look i'm not saying as i said i'm not saying fire david ross i'm willing to give him This kind of season for right now, at least, and possibly into next year to really try to write this ship, prove that he is the guy just right now to me. I want to win. Right. We all want to win. Yeah. And what and we're all expecting. We all expect this Cubs team to be competitive, whether it's next year, hopefully or possibly in two years, but really hopefully next year. And we and you want to have the best possible manager. You know, managing that team. And so David Ross, he's been here four years. To me, at some point, you have to look at him and say, "Is he the guy?" And right now, I'm just not seeing it. I'm willing to let him manage out this season. I just don't. And I look, I agree with you. In the clubhouse, I don't want Pedro Griffal, with what's been going on in the South Side. I don't want Ali Marmol, which has what was going down in St. Louis. Is just. It's like they, St. Louis saw what was going on with the White Sox and just said, hey, we got to top this shit because I don't know yeah. what's going on down there. And I'm not even a fan of yeah. Wilson behind the plate, but it's just been like crazy. And yeah, I think they were, and he's a quotable guy. He sounds fun. He's a Cubs star. I just don't want us all to be – and it is a little unfair because now it does seem like the fans are turning out. But he has such a good relationship that with the with front office, which I do think kind of f- had a little bit of problems in that late kind of – contention window or with the way they kind of with the, some of the players they kind of fell in love with the front office said, I want we have to evaluate him objectively in my opinion and right now I'm I'm just not there right now with him it, it be- makes
1: sense it makes sense that the team that plays at Bush Stadium said hold my beer and yeah. thematically thematically that tracks
2: that's what they told the White Sox man
0: well so what I'm hearing on this pod Jeremy down on David Ross Randall on the fence I'm up mostly uh- I hear your frustrations. I really do. Like I said, I'm watching the games just as you are. I'm yelling at the TV at times. But if again, if you had told me May 10th the Cubs would be 18 and 19, two and a half games out of first, I'd say, all right, things are going pretty well on the north side. And the next couple of weeks, starting with this nine-game road trip is going to be a big part of how this season goes. Uh, Because it has been a mostly good start for the Cubs, but the next stretch is going to be tough. And um, there are so many unknowns with this team. Like if the Cubs find themselves 10 under at the all-star break, yeah, you're looking at trading Marcus Stroman or Cody Bellinger, or a couple of other guys. You find yourselves, let's say the Cubs are two and a half games out of first at this point at the all-star break, you're buying going into the deadline. It's a whole different ball game. And that will, in fact, multiple seasons moving forward. So uh, I'm just thankful that here we are in mid-May with a compelling team, with multiple young, exciting guys on the roster and a chance to maybe win this division. I will say,
1: and I think this is probably something we'll touch on, and I hope it's something we get to keep touching on. I will say that if they are in striking distance at the deadline, I think they'll be more aggressive in maybe promoting certain players from the minors than they will be in sending off potentially valuable pieces for rentals on a team that's not great. They're just quote unquote within striking distance. I think they will be more aggressive promoting internally than they will in going out and giving pieces away for rental pieces. But I hope that's a discussion that we can continue having. Like, I hope they are good enough that we get to keep having that discussion because that's a hell of a lot more fun than discussing what prospects you might trade certain major league pieces for.
2: Yeah. I just want them to be competitive and that's what we all want. We all want competitive and, you know, and part of it, as you said, like, we're in this position to evaluate David Ross and cause we're trying to win baseball games right now. And we're trying to be in this race and, you know, we never, we didn't really necessarily get that for the last year and a half. And so it's, it's nice to actually be in that spot being like, we want to win this ball game and not that this ball game, you know, doesn't necessarily matter to us.
0: Well, a couple of guys I want to talk about again, some major leaguers, some minor leaguers. Yeah. Um, and this is kind of a mixed bag guys. We're happy with guys. Maybe we're not so happy with at this point in time, but Mam Mervis has been a guy we've been talking about since March. Let's get him in the lineup uh, ever since Eric Hosmer, came to Chicago, I've said, can Eric Hosmer leave Chicago? Can Matt Mervis come up? Well, we've gotten Mervis for less than a week here, uh, 21 at bat. In fact, at this point, what do we think here? It's been a very, very, very small sample size, but what are we making here of the first week or so of Matt Mervis?
1: You know, I don't think he's looked overmatched, and he's come up in some matchups that are really not favorable for him. The Marlins were throwing some really tough lefties at him, including AJ Puck, who he came up and faced some in some really tough situations. Yeah. So he he almost landed in a bunch of matchups that really weren't favorable for him. I don't think we've seen him looked overmatched. He's made his contact. He's gotten some base hits. He got that great RBI single in his first game after going uh, 0-3 for to start the game. Everyone was happy. So I think we've seen what's going to make him at least a capable major leaguer. Um, You know, I'd like to see him start. uh, I don't think he has an extra base hit yet. So I'd like to see him start slugging a little bit. He wasn't in the lineup today. And, of course, the off day tomorrow, just give him a little bit of rest. Um, So he hasn't looked overmatched. I'd like to see him start producing a little bit more, but like you said, he has been in the major leagues for all of six games at this point. He's only played in five of those. So yeah, pretty small sample size. I'm happy to see him up though. If he's going to struggle, let him struggle up here where he's got big league coaches to work with, where he's got big league teammates to bounce off of, let him struggle up here and figure it out up here because him figuring it out up here is going to be a lot more helpful than him continuing to not need to figure it out at Iowa.
2: He, as Randall said, he's had some tough matchups. It's been tough for him in this early going with some of the the pitchers he's faced, some of the situations he's been in. Um, I, I, you know, I obviously, I was excited for him to come up. Uh, he's, we, I think he has a higher upside than, you know, any of the current first basemen that we have. But I, I do understand, you know, being, I'm not saying like I'm skeptical of Matt Murvers necessarily, but I, I you know. I don't think he's going to come up in 900 OPS or even possibly 8 you know sure. 800 pro like he's going to have he's going to hit and I'd rather give him more opportunities than as you said Hosmer or necessarily Mancini and I'm happy that when he's playing he's playing in the field as well not just kind of DHing yeah. but I don't I, I there's like kind of this expectation that Matt Mervis is going to come in and hit like 30 homers from now on from the rest of the season and just kind of dominate the way he's dominating Triple A. And Seems to me, reasonable. it's kind of yeah. To me, it's kind of like you know let's let's hold back. Like I I understand why he's batting in the bottom half of the lineup. I don't necessarily understand why he's batting by Eric Osborne at like seven, but I understand why he's batting down there. Give him some situations. I you know to to work in some better situations. But I yeah, it's early, so we'll see. I think he'll be fine. I think he, he mm-hmm. definitely gives us more of an upside. And right now, you know, Trey Mancini hasn't been great, has been kind of bad, though he's been turning it on lately. Eric Hosmer, yep. we have all know what we got there. So if you got to give it to somebody, give it to Mervis. But I understand, like, why they sat him today against the lefty. That makes sense to me. Yeah.
0: Well, the power's coming. We're going to see that, Randall. Like, uh, to your point, I mean, in case, maybe not going to hit 30 home runs this year, but the power is coming next extra coming. Jeremy, you talk about him in the field. That is what has been most impressive to me up to this, because all the reports that we got is he's not a very good defender. What I have seen is multiple picks. I mean, really impressive picks at first base that has me going, damn, I didn't know he could do that. So that has my attention here five games in.
1: Yeah, he's made some very impressive picks on balls in the dirt. And, you know, we've been talking about the lineup all night. There were a time or two this week where you're seven, eight, nine in the lineup was Mervis Amaya Morel, and I don't know that this is something you want I don't know if this is a proud thing necessarily but that's easily the most interesting seven eight nine in the lineup the Cubs have had in quite some time again I don't know if that's a good thing or not but that that is something that uh jumped out at me like wow the seven eight nine in the lineup is really interesting this is some, some of the bats I'm going to want to see
2: Definitely. I We saw that last night with Mervis. I think it was Mervis Morella uh, a Morella, mile uh, last night that the game I went to. But yeah, you know, I, I just want give him a chance to figure it out. Like that first hit he had was 112 miles per hour. It was crushed. There are very few guys on this cup roster that can kind of hit a ball that hard. And to bring Matt Mervis up, have him be one of them is, is nice to see. And I'm expecting to have, you know, he's going to have his ups and downs and the power is going to come. But just give him the chance, as Randall said. Get, let him figure it out at, at the major league level. You, and uh, he's already kind of, you know, 25 years old. So he is older. So, But it's going to help the team in the long run. It's going to help the team this year to put him out there almost every day. So I am, I'm not like, jumping off the Matt Mervis, you know, situation right now.
1: Yeah. And, you know, one of the things tickling the back of my mind, because this is my unique damage, is what number he was going to wear. When he got to the major leagues, you know, he has been 41 yeah. at Iowa. I was wondering if they might give him like 40, try and get that number on somebody they have high hopes for, but no, he comes up in what number? Number 22. It's yep. a good number. It's a strong number. It looks good on a first baseman over there, standing there, getting the throws from his teammates. I like it a lot. And I like that through his representation, his partnership with obvious shirts or whatever, we found out the day before I didn't have to wait for the team press release or anything. I said, Oh, that's a good number. Good on you. Matt
0: The only disappointment I have, I know you guys know what I'm about to say here, but the only disappointment I have is we will not get Cam Sanders 22 at Wrigley Field here in a few weeks. But it does look good. He 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 kind of has the build too of like Rizzo where if like if you're watching the game in standard definition and it's a little bit blurry, right? You kind of you kind of look down there and go it sort of looks like that big first baseman we used to have over at first base. I'm not saying this guy is Anthony Rizzo. It's, it's just nice to see a big bu- body like that over at first. Yeah, you if you
1: should put him in like a Rizzo number forty four jersey and turned him around, you could use him as like a stand in, mm-hmm. like they do in movies and TV when you can't get <laughs> the actual actor. He could be a stand in he could be stand Anthony Rizzo. There we go.
2: Well I will say and as Randall mentioned Rizzo forty four, uh if Matt murris in number twenty two is half as good as as uh the as Rizzo was as a cub, I think we'll be very happy.
1: That, that's a good call, Jeremy. That's a good call I
0: like it. Uh, very fun, though, seeing him up. Long time coming. And I'm with you both. Just put him out there, especially over Hosmer and Mancini. Get him a ton of reps at first, and maybe it works out for him. But the defense absolutely caught my attention here the first week of Matt Mervis. Uh, another guy we've been clamoring for, Christopher Morelli. Tore the cover off the ball in Triple A. He comes up to the majors and he does the exact same thing. Two more hits tonight in the Wednesday win for the Cubs over the Cardinals, and it's so fun watching this guy play baseball. I don't know if there's any player on this roster. I'm not saying he's the best player on the roster. I'm just saying I don't know if there is a more fun player to watch on this roster than Christopher Morrell when he's locked in. Yeah, last
1: season as he was making his way onto the scene. I said, he's not Javier Baez because nobody is Javier Baez. Even Javi isn't really Javier Baez anymore, but it's almost like there's a little shard of Javier Baez in him that kind of grew and gestated into something new. And that's that's kind of what Morel is. You know, I'm not even going to call him Javi Light because that implies he's a similar player, which he isn't. But he's got that same energy. He's got that same aura about him. He's got that same ability to make you watch his at-bats and wonder what really interesting thing you're going to see when he bats, when he's running the bases. Uh, he, He hasn't played second base in the minor leagues at all this season. He came up, he started at second base, Tuesday night, and he made a number of great plays on the infield at second base, uh, fielding, going across the bag, throwing across his body. He's just a natural, incredible athlete. He's got tools that are extremely loud. He's fast. He's strong. He can hit the ball really hard, really far. All of the tools are there. And it. Uh, I want to see what kind of big leaguer he is five years from now, 10 years from now, because there's so much variance there. He could you know, flame out completely, or he could end up being – a key contributor to a lot of really good Cubs teams like Ben Zobris, but a lot faster with a lot more energy um, walk-up music that isn't quite as screechy. So there's so much variance there. <laughs> and I really, really want to see what kind of big leaguer he becomes.
2: Well, I'm just going to say, because the last time I heard of Ben Zobris comp uh, coming, I believe in February. So I want to hold off on the Ben Zobras comps. It's when Rick Hahn called uh Romy Gonzalez, basically, they're Ben <laughs> for this year, and that did not pan out at all. Yeah. But, yeah, I agree with you, Randall. And it's, you know, he was on this club last year, and he surprised us all. I thought I was very skeptical of him coming up. I was like, this guy hasn't walked. He hasn't done anything. He's coming up, I believe he came up from Double A, And he came up, and he just kind of hit, and he played very well. And then he did go through his struggles, but he kind of performed towards the end of the season, and his overall line was pretty solid. And then he came to spring training this year and he didn't necessarily have the greatest spring training but i was still a little surprised that he didn't make it uh out of camp with the big league club uh they sent him down and right now i wonder if jet is kind of kicking himself like maybe this guy should have been on the opening day roster where would we be Hmm. if this guy had been playing that month with us uh yeah they wanted him down he went down to iowa he's crushing the ball he's taking a ton of walks he had 12 homers and he's come up and so far in two games he's done all of the same things and I I need to know I want to know how they're going to get him into ball games because I feel like they have to get him into ball games he as Randall did say and I'm not going to say zobrist like but he can play he's played a bunch of positions in his career we've seen Nick Madrigal kind of Last night, he played third base when Morel played second because Nico's out, and we're hopefully hopefully Nico's not out for a long time. But it seems to me like the plan was when they called him up, we're going to focus on him kind of getting outfield spots because they sent Velasquez down, and I argued the week before, I believe, or two weeks ago, they just said Magical down and call him up because I thought he could play all over and take all the infield and outfield. Um, So it just seems to me, and Jed the other day, he said, before, when they called up Mervis, why they weren't calling up Morales? Because well, we don't know where he's going to play all the time on this roster right now. But then they called him up, and you got to get him in the roster. You got or excuse me, you got to get him in the lineup. You got to mm-hmm. figure out you know certain days everybody's going to need a day off at some point. So one day, Matt, you know uh, Nico might take a day off or Dansby or that third base wisdom or in the outfield Cody or or whatever. And I feel like he needs to be that kind of super sub Jack of all trades. Who's almost in the lineup every day, kind of subbing for somebody, but it's always in a different spot and they need to figure out how they're going to work him into the lineup. Cause this kid needs to play. He needs to play mm-hmm. on this team. He hits the ball hard. And I, as Randall said, he is such a fun player to watch as Ronan said, you said that too. He's probably, yes, the most fun player to watch when everything's going well. He just, he brings so much excitement and he's so gregarious that you know, there, I did hear about some immaturity issues with him at the end of last year. Not necessarily how, like, he took it when he was struggling a little bit, but he just brings kind of that energy that you, you kind of want that little bit of a jolt in this kind of playoff race we're hoping for. So I, he needs to be out there. And I hope for he, hopefully, he's out there as much as possible.
1: Now, one way you can use him, and they did do this tonight, Wednesday night, is DH him. I mean, your primary DHs so far have been Hosmer yeah. Mancini. And I think Morel is offensively a much more capable player. Uh, much more multi-dimensional than either of those two guys the only downside of that of course is that you can't bring him in defensively if need be because then you lose the day h but if you need a place to give him regular at bats at the very least you have that designated hitter spot and it wasn't an issue last year because he got plenty of time in yeah. center field over rafael ortega may he rest in wherever he is not, right now i don't know yankee system uh but you know, you have a much more capable center fielder now. You need to get him every day at bats. I don't think there's anything wrong with DHing him three, four times a week because I think he's going to give you much more of a much more of a dimension in that lineup than will Trey Mancini, than will Eric Cosmer. So I hope that's something that they are looking at. Or you move wisdom to first base, you DH Mervis. And you play Morel at third base. You have options. And continuing the theme of our show tonight, I hope Ross and I hope the front office is smart enough to use those options to get this very necessary bat in the lineup.
2: Yeah, and the only thing I will say about your latter scenario is, just to me, it just feels like they have Nick Madrigal higher up than Morel on the infield. Like they rate, and if there's like an open infield spot, it's going to Madrigal. Which I'm, it doesn't feel like. Morell's. it feels like they're going to try to get him in in the outfield or at dh and i just hope they're open to using him all over the field
1: yeah here's here's my suggestion as to who goes higher on the depth chart you put the cookies on the high shelf and whichever <laughs> of madrigal and Morell is able to reach them they get that higher up in the pecking order and i think that'll settle things
0: real quick all right randall speaking of keys important question of the night what is the best cookie you can buy what is the best cookie you can buy? Boy, that's
1: a really tough question, and you know I'm probably gonna have to go with a type of Oreo here, and this might be heresy, but I might go with like Golden Double Stuff Oreo, Ooh. the Super Saiyan Two Oreo, because uh, I think I, I think oh, I like I think I like so gold. I think I like Golden Oreos better, honestly. I think it's a little better flavor.
2: What, 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 what and yeah, yes, Jeremy. I was gonna say, what is Super Saiyan Two?
1: Well, Super Saiyan 2, you know, Super Saiyan Goku's hair turns yellow. You got Double Stuff Golden Oreo.
2: So, so it's you like got an the anime two... thing? Yeah, it's, a, it's an anime thing.
1: There's Somebody out there will get that reference, and that's okay. Some of these are just for me. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to go the Golden Double Stuff Oreo, because no Oreo that isn't Double Stuff is worthwhile. And I, I think I like the Golden Oreos better, so that might be like my hottest food take. That might be the thing that gets me the most hatred, but I'm going to go Golden Double Stuff Oreo.
0: I like it. I just they're talking cookies, Randall. Had to get your thoughts on that. Uh, speaking of cookies, Jan Gomes has to be the most surprising offensive player in the Cubs lineup this year. He comes back from being out a week or so with a head injury. Three more hits Wednesday night against the Cardinals. The guy has, what, six home runs this year? He's hitting like 330. This has to be, through a month and a half of the season, the most surprising offensive player we've seen for the Cubs this year. He's been a monster and doing it a catcher.
2: Donnie Bench. Uh, yeah, he's he's had some good offensive seasons in his career. Like, there have been years he's been down. There has been years he's been up. Like most catchers, I feel like, you know, especially a guy like Jan Gomes, who's often been a backup catcher, never really the guy. But, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I, I like having Young Gomes out there. He's having a huge year. Of course, it's only a month into the season. But he's been everything the Cubs, I think, have wanted him to be when they let Wilson go. And he's handled the pitching staff pretty well. And I don't know if it's necessarily a coincidence that some of the Cubs' biggest struggles this season have come when he had that concussion, right? Uh and he's been out for seven days. So hopefully with him back on, on the roster, we can get going a little bit here.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's been a the other thing that we got. Oh, go ahead. He's been a revelation. You know, he and this is a guy who has a uh, he has a, a decent career to his name. He's been good enough to have been acquired at the deadline by competing teams or he has all star appearances to his name. It's not like he's come out of nowhere. And I think we all said last year he's probably better than what he put up last year. You know, it's kind of his uh, pitching staff now, and I think he's just come in. He's been this steadying presence. I think we would have been happy with whatever defense he gave you, but he's hitting too. He comes off the concussion IL, and he homers tonight. He's yeah. not the black hole in the lineup that he that the you know the catcher spot outside of Wilson has been for a couple of years. And we again, we're talking about winning on the margins, getting a a resurgent year out of a guy like Jan Gomes is absolutely one way to increase your stock on the margins like that. And the Cubs are getting that out of him right now.
0: Yeah. Uh, The other thing though, too, is in his departure, we did get some pretty cool moments there with Miguel Amaya. We've talked about him on the show for the last three years. It's an amazing story of perseverance as he finally gets to the big leagues and something I thought, like you get to the romantic side of baseball and all that, but Miguel Amaya's parents, Coming to all these games in Washington and Wrigley and getting to see him get his first big league hit and driving in a run. That was just very, very cool because you figure what that guy has been through to get to where he's at at Wrigley Field right now. He's back in Iowa with Gomes up, but we're going to see more Miguel Amaya. And I kind of wrote him off with all the injuries in the last two years. I thought, you know what? This is a prospect I'm really high on. I don't know that it's going to work out. Feeling recharged a bit with Miguel Amaya. So I think that that's been one of the great things that we've gotten to witness here in the departure of Jan Gomes. But thank goodness Gomes is back.
1: Yeah, I honestly wasn't sure we'd ever see him in the majors between the injuries, between Mm -hmm. seemed like they were pretty set at catcher. And, you know, I thought they might have been more inclined to to add uh, like a veteran like Dom Nunez to the roster. But his 40 man status, I think, made him. Uh, The easier choice, because with everything else you had to do, you didn't want to mess with another forty man spot. He came up, he held his own, and you said it. Those great images of his parents celebrating him, and of course, the the, this just the shining moment of his short Cubs tenure so far after the win on Saturday. uh, Taylor McGregor goes over and interviews him and to her credit she just kind of lets him yeah. be and he's singing go cubs go along with the crowd he's just looking around how great is that like i watched that clip yeah. a good 20 times and i don't think oh, it God. got old as all <laughs> it, you know it was just that good it didn't was not get to 20.
0: Good.
2: it was good it was definitely good randall i saw it live and i didn't feel i needed to watch it after that but it was good uh and also you know miguel amaya Coming up, the first I think the first five balls he hit were over 100 miles per hour, and then he gets finally gets his hit Uh, on this little dribbler, doubler up the middle that two middle infielders overrun and can't make a play on and scores a run in in the eighth inning. It's just a crazy situation. But I'm with you guys. I was like, all right, Miguel Amaya. Like, is this guy ever going to come out? Is he ever going to make the majors? Every year it seems like he's been hurt. He's had an injury, but seeing him perform at the major league level, I'm like. This guy's put himself on the map. I want to see more Miguel Amaya. I want to see him come. I thought he looked fine behind the plate. Pretty good. I mean, we'll see all the metrics and everything. It sounds like the pitchers all liked pitching to him and he's hitting the ball hard when he was up. Now, of course there was a couple, very small sample size. Nobody really knew who he was. So they're probably just throwing him pitches and he's smacking them, but he's kind of proven it. he's having a good year in trip in in double A before he was called up. And, yeah, is this a guy that's a future piece as a Cub? Maybe now. Maybe he's put himself in that position to be that guy, kind of. He's 24 years old. Randall Munchie's he's on the 40-man, that he's now somebody we have to take seriously in the future for you know for this Cubs re- rebuild, and good for him. Good, I love it. I love the fact that he's put himself back on the map.
1: Jeremy, you mentioned what the pitchers have said about him. Justin Steele and Hayden Wisneski, both on the record, as saying that they love throwing to him. Hayden Wisneski gave this whole this whole blurb about how he didn't expect Amaya to be as prepared as he was. And it took about two innings until he realized, wow, this guy knows what he's doing. I'm going to let him call the game. And Hayden Wisniewski is not an old player by any stretch, but he has more major league experience than Amaya does. And that's high praise for your pitcher to say, okay, you've got this. I'm going to follow you. And I don't think they let him catch Stroman at any point, but I think that's a – a combination that probably worked really well because we know Stroman respects hard work on the part of his teammates. And we know Stroman probably very willing to sit with him and say, okay, here's what I'm going to throw in this count. And I think, like you said, Amaya put himself on the map and we're getting really ahead of ourselves here. But I think an Amaya-Gomes combination at catcher next year would look really good. (laughs) The only issue, the only issue is that I think you'd want a really good depth option waiting in the wings in case Amaya's health issues flare up again. Dom Nunez. Sure, that's your that's your, your uh, better-in-depth option. I know uh, you're a big Dom Nunez guy.
2: Well, I would say there's two other issues. One, I, I think Gomes is a free agent after this year. Okay, and two, so you re
1: him as the backup. Dude, our
2: boy go? Tucker Barnhart has a player option for next year as well, so he'll probably choose to pick that up. But going back to what you said about Wesneski, I would think in his last start, because he had kind of had a tough first inning, but after that, what you're saying, he let Miguel Amaya call the game, that was kind of the best we've seen Hayden Wesneski all season. So that that, that kind of plays into that.
1: You know, we, Wilson Contreras back in town. It's a great time to talk about. There was so much ink spilled about whether the Cubs did the right thing, letting him go. It's clear that the Cubs wanted to invest major effort in work behind the plate. And Wilson, God love him. It was never his strongest suit, which I was never going to admit while he was here.
0: But now that he's gone, screw it. <laughs> oh, come on. Yeah, <laughs> I hear yeah. you. I agree. Of course, I agree. And it was the right decision. And I think... I've said this previously on this podcast. I think Jed Hoyer deserves credit multiple times. The last three years now, he's had to make the right but difficult decision, and he's damn near perfect with it. He has not been perfect, but he's been very good about it overall. Um, Really quickly on this front here, Nico Horner, I think we got – relatively good news with regard to the injury and that it doesn't appear it's going to keep him out long term. The hamstring's been a problem for him in his career, so nice to know it's probably only going to be a couple of days. Yeah,
1: Nico himself said it was a, a mild strain. They did the imaging, they did the MRI. Uh according to Taylor, apparently he had his spikes on either la- he had his spikes on last night or tonight and Ross says there might have been like a version where he could have played. So, you know, it sounds like I just hope it whatever it ends up being if it ends up being worse than it seems. Don't do this thing where you wait a week, play a man short the entire week, and then put him on the IL. Just be proactive yeah. about it. But you know, it sounds like it's not too bad. He didn't play Tuesday. He didn't play tonight. Wednesday, he's got the off day. Thursday, we'll see Friday. Um, you know, if he's one day away, or maybe if he's in the lineup on Friday, we'll say, okay, bullet dodge. But, you know, Nico's had his more than his fair share of lower body injuries, especially the hamstring. Anytime he comes up limping like that, you hold your breath because you just wonder what's the issue this time.
2: That's what the White Sox do. They yeah. like let a guy sit on the roster for four days. Then they say, "Oh, I think they did it with Johan Mankata. Then they say, "Oh, this year." Then they say, "Oh, and he's going to DL on the IL." Oh, wait, he actually needs like a month of rehab or whatever. You're like, "What? What? I thought you were just letting him on your roster for like four days."
1: So you know, with uh, Eloy, half the time is you got you not know what injury you're putting him on the IL is. Did he run into a wall? Does he have appendicitis? What are you going to have to put on that
0: form that you submit to the league? Maybe that's why it takes him so long half the time. Well, some minor league injury news on the good front. Uh, Cody Hoyer, the relief pitcher the Cubs got back in that Kimbrel trade with the White Sox, apparently hitting 99 in Iowa. That's really good. And the starter, Kyle Hendricks, he's not hitting 99, but apparently things are looking good for Kyle Hendricks down in the room too. So we potentially have two major league pitchers coming back to the big league roster here, leading to a big question mark in the starting rotation. What do you do if Kyle Hendricks comes back?
1: Uh, could, could Hendricks like try hitting 99? Cause I think that would be a really good pitcher. If he could, if he could do that, you know, that's a really good question there. Maybe you demote Smiley to the bullpen just because I don't think any pitchers has been really bad so far, but I think he's kind of your weakest link in that rotation. And I don't think they would demote Wesneski because I don't think he's done anything to deserve that. Really, if you're going to take one of the current starting pitchers out of the rotation, really the only guy that comes to mind is you move Smiley to like a, a long relief or you move into like a lefty reliever. You don't have a, a lefty reliever, especially with Brandon Hughes out with the knee issue. He's apparently on the way back to through 32 pitches in a bullpen outing, said he felt really good. You're going to come up against those good problems very, very shortly. And I don't have a concrete answer to that. I don't know who you move out of the rotation. If Kyle Hendricks is ready to come back, I really don't.
2: Yeah, it's it's tough. I, I don't know who either. I It's tough to move Drew Smiley out with the way he's been pitching. Uh, I think a couple weeks would, ago, I think you would easily say Hayden Wesneski, but he's been pitching pretty well. And Tyone, I think, has been pitching better than what his his overall numbers has looked. So I don't know. It is tough. I Maybe you try to work in a six-man rotation. I don't know.
0: I was, that's what I was going to ask. Would you try a six-man rotation or like a combo six-man rotation where some guys are pitching on their n- normal four-day rest? You don't want Justin Steele having an extra day off between when he's pitching. And other guys, th- like that's another way you can factor in a six-man rotation. Is that something the Cubs try here? Yeah,
1: maybe. Maybe they try and do like a piggyback thing. Maybe you try and while Tyone is still kind of recovering from the groin injury where he was able to keep up his throwing program. But, you know, you can only do so much to make sure you don't, Retweak it, re-injure. Maybe you do like a Hendrix tie on piggyback for the short term, where you try and get like four innings out of the two of them, three innings out of the two of them, and you, you try and work it out that way. There are some creative solutions. We we you know we're talking at length about David Ross and this front office and the issues we've had. They're going to have to get creative to fit them on the roster. And again, maybe the piggyback solution is one of them. So. Uh, you know, give Hendricks another rehab start. He's coming off a very severe injury. Like this is not where he was on the IL for a month with like a hamstring strain. He's coming back from a, a pretty big shoulder procedure. So you don't need to push him immediately. And maybe something works itself out. Maybe a guy really starts to falter. Maybe someone else in the rotation. I hope not, but injuries do happen. I do think it will work itself out. And maybe one of the ways it works itself out is that piggyback option.
2: I, I was also thinking uh, kind of a piggyback option, but I was kind of thinking of like, you know, with Smiley, who is kind of very different than I feel like than Hendricks, uh, in terms of the fact, you know, coming from the left side and everything. So maybe you, you throw like Smiley out there for three innings, then you throw Hendricks out there for three innings, and you're getting kind of two real different looks. So I don't, I don't know, I was just thinking of that as that an option.
0: Well, it's going to be definitely worth watching here. Uh, this is the best type of problem, though, that you can have. You've got too many guys right now to fit on a 26-man roster. I'm just over the moon that this is the situation the Cubs are in right now in the middle of May. And it's up for Jed and David to figure out what's the best 26 guys here and how are we going to use them to remain competitive in this division.
1: Don't forget Carter. He, can, he gets to contribute, too, a little yeah. bit. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. And there's many other guys that are go unnamed that have a big role in all of this. Uh, speaking of that and looking down at the farm, lots of guys worth attention. Uh, getting a little bit short on time here, but I do want to mention Ben Brown dominating at Iowa. That continued on Wednesday, five innings, ten strikeouts. Is there any doubt this guy is going to be pitching at Rigby Field this year, even if it's probably in a bullpen role?
1: Not for my money. Again, the all-important 40-man roster, he already has that spot because he was Rule 5 eligible. The Cubs did roster him. So he's already got that all-important 40-man spot. They specifically moved him up to Iowa because Tennessee, the Southern League, is using the pre-tacked baseballs strikeouts in the Southern league are through the roof offense is down. They wanted to move him up to Iowa where they're using the major league baseball. And they wanted to see if that dominance continued. And it has, you just mentioned uh, we're recording this Wednesday night during the day today, Wednesday, he pitched another five inning, 10 strikeout outing for the Iowa Cubs. There is no doubt in my mind that UPS is going to deliver to Wrigley. And we're going to ask, what can Brown do for you at some point this summer?
2: I agree. Yeah. I I believe he's going to get a chance to work out of the pen. Uh, this season i think next year you'll probably see him trying to make a play for a rotation spot and you know to get that out of what david robertson gave you for that trade that's a pretty good deal i think so far um you know you could have him you could have wesneski who you, who you have in the rotation as well and so yeah i i you know the cubs i think they did a pretty good job with a lot of these trades and ben brown it's just been just been dominant it's really cool to see
0: Cade Horton promoted to South Bend. He pitched tonight, Randall. Uh I have not seen the line. Have you seen the line for Cade Horton tonight? Yeah,
1: you know, it didn't go spectacularly for Cade Horton. Uh his first uh outing in high A. It did not go perfectly for him. I did see that he gave up a three-run homer at some point. And you know what? That's perfectly okay. South Bend comes one, so you know, they go home happy. Uh but he did make his debut. He did get knocked around a little bit. But you know what? It's his first start at a higher level. It's going to happen a little bit. And you know I think it's still exciting to see a guy who it's his first professional season. He didn't really pitch at all last season after being drafted. They've already promoted him because they want to challenge him. And that's what you want to see. Up and down the system, there have been guys forcing the issue and forcing the Cubs to move them up a level. Jackson Ferris is a 19-year-old left-handed pitcher. Uh, drafted out of high school last season he's already in full season ball he's already made his debut he already struck out seven guys in three innings and that's as a 19 year old left hander who hasn't really gotten any time in a big league weight room or anything he's already throwing mid 90s he'd already already got a great slider it's exciting to see Cole Franklin Luke Little have moved up to Tennessee we've talked about Ben Brown A lot of these guys are still a few years away, but there is really strong pitching coming up through this system. And they're going to pass through South Bend. If you are anywhere in the Chicagoland area, take yourself down to a South Bend Cubs game, try and catch uh, Cade Horton pitching because that's very easily accessible. It's a great ballpark. It's a fun atmosphere. And you might get to see a first round pick because I do think he's probably going to stay there the rest of the season. You might get to see a first round pick pitching, and that's exciting. So if you're in the Chicagoland area, take yourself down yeah. to a South Bend
0: Cubs game at least once this summer. Uh huh. And the Midwest League rules. It's worth getting out there and seeing some ball games there. Um, I've got some questions for you guys about the big leagues outside of the Cubs, but before that, we got Cubs weather. Randall, a three-game set in Minnesota this weekend, three in Houston in the Dome Park next week, all to kick off a nine-game road trip for the Chicago Cubs. I have not seen the forecast from Cubs weather, but I know there's a chance of rain in the in Minneapolis. What's it looking like, Randall?
1: All right. As we always do, we are blessed to have the forecast provided to us by at Alexander Hall of at Cubs Weather. And so Alexander describes the series vibe for us, as he so often does, stuck along the warm front. Ronan, that sounds like a a song. Like, that'd be a good song title. Stuck along the warm front, like a meteorological bop. Sure. Uh, all series in Minnesota. Uh, temperatures will be in the 60s and 70s with daily chances of rain and thunderstorms. Friday night is a 710 Central Time start on uh, Apple Plus. That's great. That's what we needed. It'll be at 65 degrees with a chance for showers and thunderstorms and wind in from center field at five to 10 miles per hour. Saturday is a 110 start. It'll be 70 degrees with a chance for showers and thunderstorms, and the wind in from center field again, 5 to 10 miles per hour. And finally, on Sunday, another 110 start. It'll be a little drier, a little more pleasant, 67 degrees, with a chance for a shower early, and then clearing, and winds will again be in from center field at 5 to 10 miles per hour. And then the game, the series, shifts to Houston, and the series vibe is described to us. Is this Immaculate Vibes for Gulf-adjacent Houston? Yes. Yes, it is. Alexander, ever the wordsmith. If this holds up, depending on how exactly the rain is looking on a given day, you might get the rare open roof at the juice box down there, Minute Maid Park, a ballpark I do not miss one bit. All of the games in this series are 7-10 starts, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and it'll be basically the same weather every day. I guess not a whole lot changes down there in Texas. It'll be muggy with highs in the low to mid 80s with a chance for afternoon thunderstorms. And then for game time, Mid to upper 70s with light and variable winds and an outside chance for a thunderstorm, especially early in the evening. So you may get the rare open juice box. Uh, Ron Santo famously at once asking, are those pumpkins out there beyond the train? No, Ron, those are oranges. It is Minute Maid Park. And so, as always, we thank Alexander for providing us with the weather and letting Cubs fans all over the country and all over the world know what the weather is going to be. It sounds like if you are heading to one of these Twins games, keep an eye on at Cubs weather to let you know what the conditions might be. It sounds like it might get a little rainy up there in the Twin Cities. So thank you as always to Alexander. Follow him on at Cubs weather with Alexander and Andrew and Colin, the three Cubs weather Caballeros. Follow
0: all three of them for all of your Cubs forecasting needs. That's good stuff. And my brother, Connor, who was a guest on the podcast what, well, two years ago or so at this point? We'll be in Minneapolis this weekend. He did opt for the Friday game. And I asked him, well, where are you sitting? You know, rain in the forecast, club level seats. So if it rains, they can go dry off and watch the ball game. Uh, his daughter, Tegan, wanted to go to Minneapolis. Of all the places, Connor said, pick a city six hours from Chicago, right? Something like that. We'll go there. We'll have spend a weekend. She said, Minneapolis, when the Cubs were in Minnesota and they're going to the ball game Friday. So uh, he was with us, Jeremy. At the at Drew Smiley game a couple Fridays ago at Wrigley. Let it be another Friday victory with Connor in attendance there in Minneapolis.
2: Yep, another historic game, hopefully, we get to yeah. see up there in yes. Minneapolis.
0: <laughs> but uh uh open open air Minneapolis there yes. and a chance of the good. this weekend. Uh The Cubs then wrap up that road trip three in Philly. Uh, I will be seeing the Philadelphia Phillies Friday night right here in Denver as they take on the red-hot Rockies, who – have won eight of their last ten ball games. Chris Bryant heating up the rock good ball. I'm actually very excited to see the Phillies on Friday night. Uh, I love about half of their lineup. I love multiple guys on that team. It's going to be great to see Schwarber and Bryce and Castellanos and all these guys at Coors Field. I'm expecting some bombs Friday night at Coors Field. Tell the
1: Rockies pitchers to lay a few in there to Schwarber. I want to see if he can hit one. Yeah. over those mountains. I bet he could do it.
0: Well, I'm thinking of right field of the out-of-town scoreboard is where I want to sit and just be waiting for some bombs from the Phillies. Uh, That's a team that, especially the last couple of years, made a point of when they come to Denver, I want to go see them play. Well, a couple of thoughts here just across Major League Baseball before we wrap up here tonight. I'm going to throw it to you first, Jeremy, and I'm asking you to pick one, but if you were to pick one guy this year across baseball, not with the Cubs, who's been the biggest disappointment through May 10 here, who do you pick in Major League Baseball that's been the biggest disappointment up to this point?
2: Wow, that 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 is a good question. I will say, as the one guy who's been the biggest disappointment, right now I, 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 I'm looking at that New York Mets team, and I'm looking at some of that starting <laughs> pitching that we've seen uh, that we thought was going to come in and dominate Justin Verlander. It's hard to pick. I think I might go with Justin Verlander, who hasn't really been – great this year you he came coming off what, a phenomenal year last year um you thought he's going to the mets he's re-upping with max scherzer who were so great in detroit and then he went to detroit and he got bombed uh you know javi bias thinking about look at what's going on 400 million dollar roster over there and they can't seem to put it together so i think i'm gonna go because just because the whole team's disappointing that's like just because 400 million dollars i'm gonna go with the guy who i find the most disappointing on that team right now which is justin verlander i think
1: Ron Santo would be very proud of of that answer, Jeremy. He was always disappointed by the Mets. Ronan, as soon as you said it, I had the benefit of going second here. Guy came to mind immediately. I was worried Jeremy was going to take this, but he didn't. And I appreciate that, Jeremy. I'm going to go with Carlos Correa, the man who signed three different contracts this offseason and finally got one to stick. The slash line is not pretty. He's batting 185 on base at 261. He's only slugging 363. That's only good for a 624 OPS. And he has a 72 OPS plus. He is, the math is hard for me. He is 28% worse, 28% worse than the average hitter in MLB this year. That's crazy. Such a talented ball player. And of course, we know his saga during the offseason, which is funny because my team wasn't involved in. So I'm allowed to laugh at it. Uh, but he you is, wanted your I, team involved. I did. And well, hindsight is 2020. So did always. I. Yeah. So we're all we we're, were all on that. OK, two of three of us. Ronan was never really on that train. But yeah, and he'll pick it up because, again, he is a great player. But boy, the early returns on that long term re-up with Minnesota, uh, not pretty. And I'm going to I realize I may have just jinxed myself because, of course, the Cubs go to Minnesota next. So if Carlos Correa goes off the series, you know exactly who to blame. And that's me.
2: Definitely.
0: Yeah. Hey, Kraya too is saying, I'd boom me, you know, I love that uh, from him here with the slow start that he's had. I'm going in a different direction and guys, I got to eat some crow here. Cause this is the guy I was clamoring to come to the Cubs. Jose Abreu has been awful in his first year in Houston. One war his weighted ones, weighted run 10 times fast after you've had a big Jack and Coke 46 at this point in the year he's been one of the worst players in major league baseball and Jose Abreu is one of those guys he sort of historically gets off to a slow start this is worse than a slow start this is a abysmal beginning for his time in Houston.
1: And Ronan, I got a new stat for you the weighted JNC plus. We can uh, introduce that <laughs> to the Baseball Reference lexicon.
2: Well, let me just let me just say if Randall is going to be responsible for Carlos Correa going off this weekend runs about to be responsible for Jose Abreu going off next week. So oh, you guys pick it both the next two series. Oh boy, runway real nice. I mean, I mean coming to play the Mets for like another two weeks. Yeah.
0: Well, look, Abreu has had a great career and, and the thing that I remember about Jose Abreu and this was probably goodness like 8 years ago at this point, but Jeremy being like, "Oh, he's a mediocre player." And then every year he would get better and better and better and he exceeded expectations. That has not been the case, though, for him in Houston. Just an awful start for him in Dusty Land.
2: Well, let me just say, I, I, I he had that one great. He had, his first year was great, and he had that one kind of great sixty games in, in, in twenty twenty. But you know, he's kind of like an average first baseman for the rest of his career. For the most, we get some balls hard. Not a great defender. And there was a lot of White Sox fans that were saying he was better than Anthony Rizzo, and I was pushing back against that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, White yeah, Sox sure. fans, Jose uh, Abreu's a- better than Anthony Rizzo, Tim Anderson better than Javier Baez. All it took for Tim Anderson to be the best shortstop in the city was Javi leaving. That's wow. all I'm going to say about that.
2: There's a lot of talk about how the White Sox fleeced fleeced the Cubs in that Quintana trade, and all I know is that since that Quintana trade, uh, the Cubs are the only team that have won a playoff series. That's and a good Dillard point. And Seas has not been point. great, and gotten... Aloy is not playing.
0: <laughs> No, no. Um, so, what about the other side of it? Uh, what player, Jeremy, do you think has been maybe the biggest surprise or, or the best player that has sort of caught your attention through a month and a half this year?
2: Best players kind of caught my attention. There's been like a lot of very good. I want to feel like just off the top of my head, I don't know why. I is the first guy I'm necessarily going to, but I feel like because you're going to see Philly next week, and I just want to make sure this is actually accurate before I say it. I feel like Brandon Marsh has had, like, a, yeah. ma- a huge season, and I feel like Brandon Marsh has been, like, a guy that, you know, kind of just known for having a huge beard, right? Just kind of like that kind of grindy-looking guy, you know, and he has just been Having a gigantic year. And now that I'm looking at the stats, yeah, he has a 1.00 OPS entry today. And I just, I, I, that's the guy to me. It's, it's, it just seemed like Brandon Marsh is going off. You're talking about Philly. I'm, I'm sticking in the NL East. I'm sticking with teams the Cubs are going to see soon, but not quite yet. So don't blame it on me if they turn around the next two weeks. Smart. Or, or, well, Brandon Marsh has been turning around. So maybe he'll go down. Uh, but uh, Brandon Marsh is my guy. I'm going to pick him. He's been the kind of a guy surprising for me.
1: Yeah, you know, this is a really tough call because there are a lot of players out there who are doing a lot of really good things. Uh, I'm going to go Sean Murphy. And, you know, maybe it's not a huge surprise, a good player acquired by a team that knows how to develop. But I would say he has uh, more than been worth that so far. He is, I believe, according to baseball reference, leading the league in OPS, leading the league in OPS+, leading the league in slugging. And, of course, the Braves signed him to one of those extensions that everyone in Atlanta seems really eager to sign. So I don't know if it's a huge surprise because he was a good player acquired by a pretty good team, but I'd say he's lived up to that acquisition and that extension so far.
0: I, I, that was the guy that I was leading with this was Sean Murphy. So I completely agree with you, Randall uh, fan graphs, which I prefer to baseball reference. He is the best position player in terms of war, through May ten here at two point four, better than I mean. Think of all the guys across baseball you could name right now, the great hitters across baseball. The catcher in Atlanta, Sean Murphy, is tops right now of all position players at two point four WAR. He has been tremendous. Nine home runs. He's among the, the the league leaders in that category. He's walking at a high clip. His on base is four forty. Sean Murphy has been awesome and. It frustrates me as a Cubs fan because that one felt doable. Like that's a guy the Cubs could have gotten this past off And he's tearing the cover off the ball in Atlanta.
1: And, you know, you, you want to give a counting because You know, we're, real, we're, we are real big among the retiree community and the retiree community loves their kind of old school counting stats leading the league in RBI with 32. And it is May 10th.
2: And if you, want, if you want to talk about teams that had an opportunity to acquire Sean Murphy and at one point probably reported to be the leader and then decided to go in a different direction. Uh, just look no further than the team that the Cubs just finished up with, the St. Louis Cardinals. Very happy they decided, hey, we're not going to yes. trade all these prospects for uh, Sean Murphy, which you look at weren't really even crazy prospects that the A's wanted. We're going to try to go with Wilson, and that has not worked out. No.
1: Yeah, yeah I, got a, I got a whole bunch, I got a whole
0: list of things the Cardinals can
1: acquire. I don't think they'd like any of them.
0: <laughs> uh, as we bring this home, any other thoughts across the majors, not Cubs related, that uh, is worth discussing here before we wrap up? Uh, you know, the uh,
1: recently the uh, Giants and the Padres played that series in Mexico City, and it was uh, kind of Coors, I guess Coors Light, or maybe like Coors South, Modelo, whatever you want to call it. There's a lot of offense. And uh, apparently the Giants uh, clubhouse had some gastrointention some gastronomic distress going through it. Uh, you know, maybe water related. Uh, Logan Webb had the, what might be the quote of the year. Uh, you know, he said, I'm just glad the shits are gone. So, Logan, <laughs> I'm glad you're I'm glad your shits are gone, too. It's a hell of a quote. And, uh, you know, that caught my eye throughout MLB. I'm glad yeah. the shits are gone.
0: That's stick- good stuff, Randall.
2: Yeah, definitely good stuff. I'm, I'm going to stick with something that might be kind of Cubs related though, not necessarily uh Cubs centric, but uh, I don't know if we did touch on this podcast, just for that whole situation going on in St. Louis with Wilson, just how kind of as a Cub fan, I feeling kind of, I don't know if I'm feeling conflicted about. I don't know if I've ever felt as conflicted about an ex Cub as I have about Wilson. First of all, him going out there and saying all these kind of things about, you know, the old school organization and I dreamed of playing for the Cardinals while I was still on the Cubs and all these things. And then. You know, I'd always been like the guy, probably the most pessimistic on Wilson's behind the plate saying, hey, I think that the Cubs need to move in a different direction behind the plate. I think we should put Wilson as a DH, a first base in the outfield. And the the Cardinals are kind of doing that. And, you know, Jed Hoyer moved off of him. And then he comes here and I, I... like I don't feel sorry for the guy, and I hear fans booing him, and I don't feel sorry for him getting booed at Wrigley Field. Like I didn't say anything, but I cheered. I didn't cheer, but I clapped for Dexter Fowler when he was a Cardinal. Yeah, he wasn't good, but Wilson. It's like he's doing all these things, and I, 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 I loved him as a Cub, and you know, I feel for him. Like I still kind of appreciate everything he did as a Cub. I will still have a good thought of him, but like I don't feel that, like. He's turning into he's playing the role of the heel and kind of deservedly so. So that's just kind of where I'm at. Like, I don't I I cheer for Schwarber. I cheer for Lester when he came back. I cheer for Brian and Baez and Rizzo. But it's kind of like, you know what, this guy, let this guy get booed.
1: Yeah, You know what? I was a little I was empathetic prior to this week. Uh, just because the Cardinals were jerking him around, not handling him well, letting Adam Wainwright sit in on the meeting and make the decision—fuck that! Like, what, 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 what decision is Adam Wainwright qualified to make? And then he comes in, he drives in some runs against the Cubs, he motions to the crowd to let him have it. No, all empathy out the window. Wilson, sorry, bro, we're not bros anymore. Talk to me again when you're retired and you're back on the Cubs convention circuit. But any any empathy I had is out the window have fun in St. Louis, have fun being moved off your main position six weeks into a five-year contract, a five-year contract that you will not finish in that city because you have already learned so quickly the extent to which you are simply not Yachty. And that's capital N, not Yachty, because it's completely binary. All Cardinals fans want is more Yachty. And the only person who can be Yachty, fortunately, is retired. Fortunately, there's only one Yachty, thank God. Everyone else is not Yachty and you are not Yachty and you have already found out the extent to which you are not Yachty and it's not going to get any better from here. So you made your decision, have fun with it for the next however many years you stay there, Wilson. Sorry, buddy. You tell him. I did.
0: Yeah. Wow. Wow. I I'm, I'm less uh, angry at Wilson Contreras than my co-hosts here. I, I am glad he's no longer a cub. I don't think it made sense for him to stay in Chicago. I think Jed had the right call there he's a world series hero to me. And I'm going to prefer to remember him that way. I, 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 you know, him doing the gesture, bringing on the booze at Wrigley. That's everything I loved about him as a cub. So I don't care that he does that as a Cardinal. Uh, I don't think it's going to end well with the Cardinals. I think they're going to have a hard time winning baseball games over the next couple of years. Um, But I got nothing bad to say about Wilson Contreras. I'm happy he got paid and I love him as a cub world series hero. I'm going to prefer to remember him that way.
2: I'm just going to say, I, I'm not necessarily angry at him, me personally. I, I just I,
0: it feels like you are a little bit. It no, does. I just don't
2: feel the need to support him. I don't feel like like the other Cubs, ex Cubs. I feel like I'm rooting for them. I'm rooting to support. And some of it might be the fact that he's on the Cardinals shirt, sure, whatever. But all the comments he's made, all the things, it's like, you know what? If I let this guy, go, I'm moved on from him. He's, I'm done with him. And he he yeah. wants to come back ten years from now as a, yeah, am for you know some anniversary thing i'll be happy for him to be here he's always going to be a 2016 cup had a huge hit in game 7 uh but you know what like i don't like i we i stand up and gave jason hayward a clap i i'm not doing it for wilson the guy behind one one of the guys behind me was booing him so loudly and i could just all i could do is laugh nah. because i'm like i i don't i'm not cheering for him but i'm not going to boo him but like if other people want to boo him i get it whatever
1: i'm not going to boo him and you know, it doesn't erase all the good he did as a cub, but like jeremy said i'm I'm sure not supporting him at this point that's that's sure. out the window. He made his bed, which down in St. Louis, I think is just a bale of hay oh. with you know being held together with like pitch, I guess he made his bed, and now he can sleep in it.
0: yeah, I'm definitely not booing Wilson um but i i I will enjoy watching the Cardinals struggle and hopefully they continue to struggle as this year goes on. Uh, my final point sort of on that one is the athletic which I don't subscribe to. I don't pay for it, but I see articles. I know how to use the internet and read things that you're not supposed to have access to. Um, the article this week about the Cardinals being down and out, incredibly stupid thing to publish on May 8th or May 9th. And John Greenberg. Uh, yeah, just garbage. Absolute garbage there. I do not think that team is done. This division is very winnable. I hope the Cardinals struggle, but you should not be publishing an article on May 9th that the Cardinals are down and out and it's over because it is not, folks. It is May 9th, May 10th. There's a long way to go this year. And, you know, you get a couple games back, they find themselves four back at the All-Star break. They're very much in it. So I just thought, you know, the Athletic tries to sort of pride itself on being higher level of journalism, and yet they routinely, routinely fall back into the same clickbait that has uh, decimated Paper industry in our city and elsewhere, that they would do better than that.
1: Just need one writer to be genre savvy. Watch one monster movie. This great quote that was in my mentions earlier tonight is... Yes, you have to drive a stake through its heart. You cut off the head, stuff it with garlic, and bury it under a running stream. Anything less and you're just setting up a sequel to the monster movie. And that's my sentiment a lot. Show me the body before you're declaring the monster dead. That's all I ask. And you can't declare the monster dead on May 10th because the monster always comes back. There's one constant in my lifetime. It's that you can't kill the cardinals, no matter how many times I've I've wished for it.
2: Or just like... Look at the fangraphs odds or something like that. Like the Cardinals, the Pirates, the Cubs, all right now pretty much have like the same playoff odds. It's not like they're all like at like twenty percent. So the idea that the Cardinals are dead would mean the Cubs are dead. Uh so you know, all these teams have a shot. And it's and you look at what the White Sox are doing, they're at like six percent. So it's completely different than where the Cardinals are. So yeah, the Cardinals aren't dead by any means in the stretch. This isn't a great division. They're a team that should be playing better. Hopefully they don't play better hopefully they are you know go down that route but you know until as Randall said until there's a body until I see it with my own eyes he, they ain't they ain't dead no
0: well uh, happy playing fight for the Cubs tonight out to Minneapolis nine game road trip starts Friday night with that Apple TV plus broadcast. We'll check in next week, maybe after the Astros series, see where the Cubs are at here before they go to Philadelphia, and uh, hopefully some more wins to come here for Christopher Morel, Matt Mervis, and the Big League Cubs. Uh, again, yeah, we'll be back next week. That's all for this time. We'll see you next time.